Hello and welcome back to How To PhD episode number 11. We're going to be having a look forward at life after the PhD and why it's never too early to start making moves that are going to get you set up really well for when you go out and search and apply for jobs. Hello and welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for tuning in again. My name is Aaron and I'm joined as ever by my co-host Julia. Hi, I hope you're all well. Yes, and so this week's episode is again inspired by more listener feedback and we want to say thanks to at Carol C. Barbosa on uh, Instagram and Twitter incidentally Mm -hmm. and others uh, who asked us about this and this was all about or the, the question was really all about what do you do after the phd right yeah and that might feel quite far away from you i think especially if you're in the middle of your phd and you have you know maybe um still thinking about where the journey phd journey is going you don't have you know, you have like really time to think about what's coming after but hopefully we'll give you just a few ideas i think today of what you can already do to kind of set you up for a good um, pathway after the PhD as well. That's right. Yeah, and I guess maybe a general comment, you know, that that is worth mentioning here is is when you're sort of thinking about what do you do after the PhDs, perhaps you know, don't be afraid of the idea also of just taking a break, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, the PhD is um, three, four years long, could be longer, Sometimes longer, yeah, yeah, some, longer. Some people, that's right, years as, and... as we've learned recently. Yeah. Um, so really, see it as an opportunity where you can have this extended break. Uh, without using annual leave, right? That's because true, yeah. the reality is when you're in a job, you actually have to spend or you have a limited number of days that you can take, which is feels weird. If That's you... what we're realizing now. Exactly, yeah. So, you know, I think, you know, at the top of the show, we should just say, you know, don't be afraid of that option of just taking a break. Um, and I did this, right? I, between mm. uh, submitting and actually doing a job, Uh, I took about three months, just over three months off uh, and then continued at my university for three months in in a research position and then moved on uh, to the position I am in now. Uh, Julia, you took, I think, a little bit less of a break, right? Yeah, I think (laughs) that's a small regret, maybe. No, I didn't regret it. It was good how it was. But um, yeah, I did um, start um, a 50% position. That was a fellowship that I got and that was just I think after or even before I submitted my PhD thesis actually that I started that role and then I had to prepare for my viva at the same time yeah and at my and then then I started another 50% fellow position so I was working 100% in the week um, where I had my viva so it was quite intense (laughs) of course my my employees they were really understanding saying yeah we know you have this viva coming up Um, but still yeah I didn't really get to have a break no, that's right. And so I guess, yeah, just maybe our first tip of this show is, you know, don't underestimate the value of taking a couple mm. of months off. And- but I think you feel a little bit like under the pressure that you think, oh, I just need a job, especially, mm, you yeah. know, during these times, during the pandemic. Um, it can be quite hard to find a job sometimes. And I think I just was so happy to get a job that I was pushing myself I said oh yeah I can start whenever you need to and Mm. I can start as soon as possible but I think that would have maybe also understood if I would have said like 
I want maybe to start a few weeks later. Yes, and we're actually going to talk about that point uh, in more detail a little bit later on. So this episode, we've split into three chapters, as you will. Uh, So the first part is really stuff that you can do right away. Okay, so even as early as the first couple of months, stuff you can do right away to set yourself up uh, for that future job search. Uh, And then, of course, we're going to talk about how to search for jobs and that final stage of actually how to apply and how do you set up your CV and what to highlight and things like that. So let's get going on stuff you can do right away from the very first month. So let's talk about things that you can do right away. So Julia, I guess one of the key things that could help you in that future search is around, I guess, sort of establishing contacts, right? And people you can get in touch with. Exactly. I think this is so important and will um, hopefully provide you with a lot of opportunities in the future. And so the question then is, I guess, where can you establish contacts? But I think it starts by um, just connecting with your colleagues, with your PhD colleagues, um, with your supervisors, with the unit and department that you're working with, maybe get involved in like small things that are doing modules, seminars, uh, meetings that they're doing, get involved and be proactive. But also, of course, of conferences, national, international conferences, try to um, connect with people there. And um, yeah, I think that can be really really helpful that's right and i think you know just saying when you meet these people at whatever the event might be conference or Mm. even just a um you know as you said like a seminar at your university just ask people yeah ask people in those positions who might be higher up look you know i'm coming to the end of my phd in in three years or i'm looking to submit in two years or whatever that they Um, know like already as well okay this person in two years exactly yeah and you can say you know Mm -hmm. my my work is on this and i'm you know i really would love to stay in research yeah you know, if you if you know of any opportunities, uh, please do keep in mind mm. and, and please do let me know. And, you know, being proactive in that process and, and just using those simple sentences, you know, just let yeah. me know of any opportunity. You know, it just it puts you in people's minds, which is what you really yeah. want to do. Right. And that's essentially building your network. Yeah. And what I also did in um, the final year, I think, of my PhD is trying to get involved in research projects um, outside or not, not mm. with my supervisors, with other people in the departments. So um, I think how that came by is just that I was hearing that they're doing like some some study on a topic that I found really interesting. I said, oh, wow, that sounds exciting. Let me know if there's an opportunity for me to help. And then I got involved and suddenly you are connected with so many more researchers. Mm. Um, so that's one thing that you can can do wherever you are in your PhD journey. I think, again, I think we talked a lot about like time management in the PhD, but I think if your project is so big that you don't have time to do other things, that can be sometimes difficult. But my project was a little bit small, and I think that really allowed me to get engaged um, into other research activities. Yeah, exactly. Uh, now, of course, speaking of networking, there are the more sort of traditional networking routes, right? You could join a professional body. Uh, So I'm not, I'm not super clued in on the number of professional bodies, but in my, in my field in automotive and in engineering, um, there's ones called the ITS, Intelligent Transport Systems. There's the, the Chartered Institute of Ergonomics and Human Factors, I think is the, is the meaning of the acronym. Um, There's all these different bodies and you can, you can find these, use your supervisors, 
they are probably members of these kinds of organizations. Mm. Um, and, and just to pick a specific example, uh, the ITS in the UK, for example, for engineers, they have various different meets and they have meets for specific topics where they meet up and discuss issues in a certain thing. But they also have what they call sort of early career uh, group meetings. And these are where places where people who are interested might advertise job opportunities, might express what they would like to achieve in the future. So these can be really powerful resources uh, to get contacts and to build that up in a kind of more traditional way, I guess. Um, now, of course, all of this advice that we're giving as well, um, jobs.ac.uk have a huge range of career advice tips, which I think is very useful to have a look at, um, regardless whether you're based in the UK or not. They have really good articles there. So, for example, I just went on there today uh, and I saw they had, for example, uh, a tip, an article all around getting your PhD during COVID-19, mm-hmm. um, how to oh, write a good CV, um, your digital footprint and how to audit it. So loads and loads of um, articles there that I think could help if you read through those again, no matter where you are in the process, could just help settle you to think, actually, it's going to be okay. Uh, You know, it's not as hard as it potentially seems. So we'll have a link to the resources from jobs.ac.uk in the show notes at howtophd.show. So do do check that out. A lot of really useful stuff there and a lot of experiences from previous PhD students sharing what they did after their PhD. So really good stuff there. So do check it out. And I guess, Julia, you know, once you've sort of built your network and, you know, you've used these resources from jobs and and all all these places, I guess there's the question of how do you use that network? And I guess it's around sort of sharing or keeping those people up to date by sharing your milestones and achievements. Yeah, so that's what I really try to do um, is that whenever, let's say, I had a publication, but also if I just had a presentation, if I, when I pass my annual review um, called the Upgrade and Worry Medical School, like all these little achievements that, that um, happened during my PhD, I try to communicate that really. So I send emails personalized to the people that I met in different locations, conferences, just to let them know, here, look, um, I achieved that. Um, I think just it keeps you in their minds that then, oh, good, good to see that she is like moving on. And otherwise you have like, even if you have established loads of contacts, if you then don't keep in touch with those people and use opportunities to keep in touch, I think, um, yeah, then you decrease your chances that they will think of you when they have maybe a job opportunity or something. Yeah, um, that's right. And I think from personal perspective, you know, if I have a, a, a student of mine or someone I met, then email me with an update of what they've done. I think that's really nice. And yeah, it, yeah. It's certainly something I don't see a lot of students doing. So you'd mm. straight away set yourself out yeah. from the from the pack. Really. And it's not about bragging or something. No, no. It's just, um, yeah, com- communicating what you've done. You You've achieved it. Be proud of it and let people know. Otherwise, are <laughs> they supposed to know when you are available for jobs or what your research interests are? Or you can just say, hey, I thought maybe this article that I just published, maybe that's inf- interesting for you. So I thought of you. And I think that's that's a really nice thing. And yeah. most of the times um, people yeah, reply back and say, oh, that's great. I'm so happy to hear that. All the best. Like, keep in touch. You know, this good thing. And I think you can also, of course, share it on social media. Yes. Um, so use your LinkedIn, your Twitter. Just let people know what you're doing. Yeah. And I think this is you know an important tip is LinkedIn is actually a surprisingly powerful tool. I, I used to think that it was something that sends you sort of spam emails every day you know, trying to get you back onto their platform but actually if you keep it up to date and you 
put that setting saying that you're open to new opportunities it's it's a very powerful resource yeah and i think um, we'll talk about that and um later in our next section that's right about searching for jobs that's right yeah thanks for that segue julia so let's <laughs> let's talk about that now how do you search for jobs So let's talk about searching for jobs. Now, we thought for this section, uh, we would actually share some of our own personal experience in searching for jobs, because interestingly, it actually covers many of the different ways that you can get jobs. So we've managed to scrounge our jobs from <laughs> many different locations. Um, so Julia, would you like to go first and share, how did you uh, end up getting some of the roles that you've ended up working at? Yes, as I mentioned, so I'm doing a 50% position, which is a fellowship. Um, it's called um, the Early Career Fellowship from the Institute of Advanced Studies at Warwick University. And how I heard about that is really from PhD colleagues that uh, finished their PhD um, before me. And so I heard them talking about this fellowship opportunity. And we I just asked them, like, what, what is that? Um, how do you like it? Um, and yeah, just by having this these chats with my Pro, um, colleagues that already completed their PhDs, um, yeah, showed me that there was an opportunity. So I applied for that and um, yeah, got the, the fellowship. Um, that was one thing. And then the other role, the research fellow position that I'm currently having came about um, through someone, yeah, that I met at my department. It was, she was, um, so my line manager, she um, was in my annual review or upgrade, um, how it's called at work. Um, and um, yeah, we just, kept in touch and she contacted me then saying look I have this research fellow position um coming up I heard you're doing um a lot of like systematic reviews or literature reviews you have experience in that and um, again because I shared <laughs> um my um or publication on systematic review in my unit so she was aware of that um, and that's how I got to get this job and then the third role that I currently have is um um, a role at a company and um, they actually found me on social media on LinkedIn mm. so I was never expecting that <laughs> that I would get any interest um, through through LinkedIn but I actually I think I just posted my thesis title and said yeah I've just submitted my thesis and this company actually found my this this post Amazing. the slip oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they found this post and saw that was something a topic that they're really interested in or yeah really um is what all their business about basically which is really niche so i was really surprised um and yeah they just said like oh could you just uh, send us your cv and so i did that not thinking that there was something coming out of it but yeah in the end uh, i started so working there social media success story isn't yes it? Yeah. yes exactly. amazing <laughs> and i guess yeah for me it was very similar in that uh, well, I mean, I just used the contacts that I had and I told my professors who were at the university, you know, just as I was submitting, I, I wrote a sort of mini research proposal. So it was just kind of a one page summary of what I think I could do after the PhD. I just gave it to him and said, look, you know, I, I'm really interested in staying in academia. Mm. Can you offer something? Yeah. Um, and it took them, you know, part of the reason I took three months off is because it took them a couple of months to find the funding. Mm. But I think, you know, just by being proactive and it was not a job that was advertised, mm. right? They made the role for me because I was proactive in sort of giving them 
a, a bit of research that I could do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I did that role. And then interestingly, one my ex, or so my, my supervisor who had left the university a couple of years ago, he was then able to offer a job uh, at a different university. And so then I, mm-hmm. you know, I, moved, I switched to institutions uh, and that's where I am now as mm-hmm. of uh, last year you know so and, yeah and i think you also have to remember that you're an expert right after your PhD, you're really an expert in your topic so it might be really attractive for your supervisors to keep you keep you on because you're already so familiar with the topic right and i think yeah, that in your yeah. case that yeah it's quite a specialist um topic and links perfectly with what your supervisor is doing that's right yeah, yeah. Uh, exactly that so you know again you've got that network, you've got your supervisor. So, you know, your network might be a lot larger than you might think it is. And mm. so use that, you know, keep them up to date, as Julia says. Social media as well, for Julia, as you said, like it's, it took LinkedIn has ended up, you know, can giving you a job. It's, it can yeah. be very powerful. Yeah. So really good stuff. Now, of course, a lot of universities also have career services and they offer things like interview prep and CV reviews, but they can also help you search for jobs. So, of course, those are options. We didn't personally use those. And I did. Uh, actually, oh, I did okay. after my master's. So not now, but yeah, after my master's I did. And they were brilliant. So I think it was really helpful because um, I feel like it varies as well um, how the CV looks like in different countries. Um, so that, that really helped me to get mm. familiar how it's done in the UK. Yeah, a lot of expertise there that most universities can offer. But again, mm. resources like UK can also give you that help uh, online as well. I think it's also worth mentioning a sort of quick comment on sort of industry or kind of company roles versus academic roles. Now, of course, we or me personally, I continued in academia, right? so I don't have uh, direct experience of working in industry, but I did have an industrial sponsor. So I, I, I had a uh, through my PhD, I had quite a good experience of what it's like cooperating and working in a company, even though I didn't directly work in it. Uh, and generally, you know, the, it's. It's, it's a different environment. You know, things mm-hmm. are a little bit focused on, and again, we're generalizing here, but generally it seems to be that they're focused on sort of faster deadlines. So for example, at Jaguar, the research will be turned around in maybe a month or two. Whereas in my academic world, you know, we might spend a year, two years researching that same topic and doing it as thoroughly as we can. Um, generally, you're sort of, you might have less control over the kind of topic that you want to do in industry versus in university you might have a bit more freedom because that's it might be your funding it might be your supervisor's funding so you're more directly connected to where the money is coming from in that project so i think these are some of the things that i experienced and and you julia because you're sort of doing this company role as well as your academic role would you sort of agree with that yeah definitely and i really enjoy actually doing both <laughs> like yeah. or having yeah having both because i i think what i like about academia is that as you said like you can bring in your own ideas you can take more time to also maybe learn like yeah new research methods that are quite more or more theoretical sometimes or a bit more abstract or and explore things that might not have like an immediate mm. um yeah impact on the yes. real in, in the yeah. way that you know okay you're going to bring that project and um, product onto the market or whatever that's a very good um, point uh, that's sorry to interrupt but that yeah. I, I think that's that's exactly it you know in, in jaguar when we were proposing a research it, we had to show before we had done the research mm-hmm. that there was a product there that they mm-hmm. could release in maybe a year or two whereas mm-hmm. in academia you you generally have that freedom uh, and again we're generalizing but you have that freedom to do something that's a bit more what you'd call long term long term blue sky thinking sort of thing you know so um 
so it's, it's worth sort of considering that as you sort of weigh up the two worlds. But again, you know, we, we don't have direct experience. So do use these resources that are online mm. um, and chat with people who are in the industry who might have PhDs and sort of get, get to know, like, why did they make that jump? Uh, and this is where, you know, that network and, and using LinkedIn can become really powerful. And of course, I guess if you're considering an industry role or a company role, that, that there might be this question mark how do I get back into academia? Is that is that possible? Um, and I think, again, something we don't have direct experience with, but from talking to the people that, that have done that, it is possible as long as you can keep up some kind of publication record, right, mm-hmm. for research roles. Um, again, we're not experts in this, but, you know, if you have a company role, you might still keep your contacts back at the university and just may occasionally ask your professor or someone you used to know in academia, um, oh, hey, that's an interesting project. You know, I'd be willing to contribute to that in my own time um, if you put my name on the paper sort of mm-hmm. thing, you know, and uh using that you can sort of maintain a publication record and that would give you a route back into research Mm. academia and i think that's what i've seen generally in people who've made that jump i think there are also fellowships actually that um, are funded by industry um, but like research roles so where a a company gives you money to do research at the university and i think that's also a great thing because you know it's going to be applicable but you still have that university environment um, so yeah, just have a look out for all those different different options and be with that it's your choice, both academia and industry, both you can make you happy. So just find whatever it's best for you. Yeah, and I think go with your gut on those kind of decisions. You know, if it feels right to step away from academia, give it a shot. You know, it's not a life mm-hmm. sentence and likewise the other way around. So now let's talk about the third part, which is how do you actually go about applying for these jobs? What practical things do you need to do when you are sending that application in? All right, so let's talk about applying for different roles. And with this section, we wanted to, of course, you know, every job that you apply to requires specification of your CV and there's a lot of cover writing skills but we wanted to give you sort of the overall thoughts around how you can use your PhD to assist your job application specifically the PhD and and the the fact is the PhD gives you a lot of different transferable skills right and there are many ways that you can tweak your PhD skills to highlight sort of uh, things that might be more relevant to an industry or or company position or things that might be more relevant to an academic position. But the point is, and we're going to go through some examples in this section, is that your PhD, just through doing it, through the natural things that you do every single day that you might not think is that special, actually gives you a huge amount of options when you're applying for jobs. Yeah, and uh, we did this exercise actually in the fellowship that I'm doing, the Early Career Fellowship, where we had training on applying to um, jobs and they yeah had this exercise that they gave us random um, kind of job descriptions um, that were not like relevant to our field, but just to see um, that most, whether it's a company job or a job at a university, most of them have the kind of same transferable skills. Um, so you already can, through your PhD um, research, feel like 50% of the requirements that mm-hmm. are, are most job yeah. descriptions really there. You're just sometimes not aware of that. And I think what I personally always do before I start creating a CV, what I do is that I write down everything, every little thing that I've done during 
yeah, the previous experience and this case then the PhD, write down everything that comes to mind. Oh, here I organized a, a seminar or I presented here, I was teaching, I was leading this research. Just write to get it down on paper. Like literally every practical thing you yeah. do. And, and yeah, and then you can group it into different kind of transferable skills that can mm. demonstrate with that. Yeah, and, and I think the emphasis or the, the point that we want to really emphasize here is that, as I said, really mundane things like managing your supervisor relationship for example that's that's teamwork that's collaborating mm. with um that's collaborating with senior people in a in a team doing a study right just running a study itself it shows independence it shows timekeeping it shows responsibility responsibility uh, a responsibility to manage the data, to work with participants if you had human participants, mm -hmm. or to work with high responsibility yeah. things like chemicals or whatever you're and doing in a lab. Analytical skills by evaluating um, the data that you get from your studies. Exactly. That you run. If you did a lecture, right? If you taught a lecture, it's communication, it's presentation, it's it's communicating with an audience with different mm -hmm. types of audiences, right? These are you could say that you communicated with students at the, and then at the same time if you present at a conference you could say that you communicated with experts in the field this is mm. these are all super valuable things exactly of writing journals especially maybe if you're non-native and self-conscious about your english like like i am but um, if you have published something it shows that you are able to write at a very high level with excellent english and that you have done a thesis in english as well um and also, I think, yeah, having doing a PhD is a massive commitment. It shows also per, per resilience to push through that project management skills. And, and again, with the publications, it means highly, highly competitive. So you, it shows you can also deal with criticism and, um, yeah, work independently of critical um, analytical skills. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a final point that we also wanted to highlight that it's absolutely possible to apply for research roles where you are not a topic expert yet. Um, so for example, the research fellow business that I'm, that I'm doing right now is not um, topic related to what I did before. So before I was working on pharmacy-based um, sexual and reproductive health services. And now this research fellow position looks at advancing leadership in surgery. So something completely new. Yeah. But the skills that I learned through my PhD, I can apply them now to that role. Of course, you have to, to learn a new topic and or read about it, but I'm much faster um, now yeah. than I was at the beginning of my PhD because I know how to get into a new topic and I could demonstrate that. So don't, if you think something looks really interesting from the job description, but you think, oh, I haven't really done this method before or I'm not familiar with the topic, I think still, if you're interested, then apply for yeah. it and show how, how you will manage these challenges. Um, for example, getting trained on a certain research methods, method and yeah, just showing that you... <laughs> you're able to do that exactly the sky's the limit you know yes. and i think you know as we've shown you know, these skills are hugely transferable um and i think another practical consideration is certainly something that we didn't really think about when we were applying but we sort of realized was an important thing was have a plan when you're applying to these roles for when you'll hand in or, or when and specifically when you'd like to start the job and we touched on this at the beginning of the show when we talked about you know the fact that it's okay to have a break but going into these job 
applications and especially when you get to that interview stage and you get to those advanced stages where you're talking about start dates and and things like that then having a plan for when you would hand in Mm -hmm. when you'd like to start you know i think a lot of times and i think judy you said this a lot of times especially coming out of the phd if you get a job offer you kind of feel pressured into accepting it because wow it's a job offer right it, mm. it, it's this incredible thing and it is an amazing thing um but if you the fact is if you're a good candidate then they are very likely to wait for you, mm. you know, a month or two it's not true in every case but i think the main thing at is at least to- asking for that as well just contact with them look this is my situation would it be possible to delay it and, and see what comes back exactly trying, yeah. there's no there's no yeah. harm in asking and and mm. and just be honest and and you'll be yeah. able to find a middle ground and i think expressing that is really important mm. and just to remember that it is an option to have a little bit of a, a gap yeah yeah and then finally i think um one one more thing to mention is that it can apply it depend uh, it can take time to apply for jobs and to get an offer and that just has doesn't have anything to do with how how good you are how qualified you are it's just like how the job market's like there's so many different factors um you can only do what's in your control but yeah just be prepared that it might take a while um it very varies but i had friends who um have completed their phds with excellent outcomes like that no correction sometimes but still it took them like four months or something to to find a, a, a job also of course because they are looking for specific things that they wouldn't take just any job and i think that's mm. also what we would recommend i think if you can of course depending on the financial situation as well and other circumstances but um yeah be picky you have um done a phd is the highest level education and you can now um choose or like re- really think about where you want to go in the future that's absolutely right so I hope this has given you uh, a good overview of uh, why it's important to start thinking about jobs and the kind of end game for your PhD early on and, and the stuff you can be doing right now to plant those seeds which hopefully blossom in the future uh, and giving you a good overview of how to search and specifically how to highlight the strengths of your PhD and, and really the value of what you've done in your PhD just by, just by doing it. Um, and of course, there are specific career and and job application advice that again as we mentioned jobs.ac.uk and other resources online can help you with that kind of specific how do you what to word in your cv and how to uh, write cover letters and things like that all those resources are online and of course we're happy to help if you if you get in touch with us as best as we can but we're not career uh, career advisors uh, so there are experts who know much more about that but hopefully this has given you an overview um, and you can go out there with good confidence when you next apply yes. for your uh, job don't stress out you will find a good job <laughs> don't worry if you have a second right now just like think about recent achievements and share them with your network for example it could be a good starting point or write down all the things that you have done so far Well, here we are at the end of another episode. Thank you so much for listening to How to PhD. As always, if you know of someone who you think could benefit from this, then please share it with them. And of course, if you enjoy listening to How to PhD and you'd like to support us, then you can do that by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or by visiting our website at howtophd.show and leaving a small donation through Buy Me A Coffee. And as always, huge shout out and thank you to everyone 
who supports us on social media, who supports us with donations. We're so grateful for all the support and, and wonderful engagement that we get. Um, and of course, do get in touch with us over email, contact at howtophd.show and Twitter and Instagram, uh, which our handles are at howtophdshow. So next week, Julia. Next week is all um, going to be about work-life balance. And uh, that was a suggestion from our listeners. So, um, yeah, I think especially during this time, during the COVID-19 pandemic, um, where we were forced or <laughs> had all to um, work remotely, that can really affect, I think, um, your work-life balance as well. So I think we're just going to share some advice on that. Yeah, exactly. A lot of stuff from our own personal experience as we all dealt with this incredible challenge that we all unexpectedly faced. So thank you again for listening and we'll see you all next week.